Hello, everybody. This is you guys five movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. This is episode seventy-seven, the top five best blockbusters. Um, this comes a week after episode seventy-six, where we covered the top five worst blockbusters of all time. So this is a little bit more positive this week, Frank, um, as opposed to last week. Although last it, week was fun. <clears throat> um, fun and drunk. <laughs> right. So couple things I want to do before we get into this list is one I want you to kind of again redefine or define I guess um, how you're viewing blockbusters for those that might not listen to last week um, maybe talk about like maybe what would have been on this list that just like didn't make it and why it didn't make it and maybe you can go ahead and start there and we can start talking so I basically just went to box office mojo and looked up the um, highest grossing films of all time and then just worked my way down from that and picked movies. I didn't let myself pick movies from the same series. So you could only have like, I only let myself do like one Avengers movie or one Marvel universe movie. Um, although I guess there's two movies technically take place in the Marvel universe. Um, kind of one, uh, one star Wars movie, um, one Pixar movie. And I tried to go with the one that um, made the most money out of the series, or barring that, like the one that I liked the best. Right. Um, and there's certain franchises that have a ton of uh, a ton of movies on like this that could possibly be on this list: um, Pirates of the Caribbean, Harry Potter, uh, Lord of the Rings. And because I'm not like the biggest fan of those. Um, series they didn't necessarily get the chance to make the list mm. um, so it was more like this whereas the worst blockbusters it was easier to pick just because like for me it's easier to whatever I guess like define shit um, it was a little more difficult to uh, like go through and pick ones like objectively that I thought were like the best movies that's interesting. Um, so, where do you have anything in mind that like almost made it but didn't? Sure. Um, I mean, there's so the first and second Pirates of the Caribbean movies, I think are good, but I think that series is kind of brought down by the fact of like, like the the way the series like continued and ended. Well, it kind of puttered to a to a stop, and then it had shitty sequels after. Yeah, there's stuff like. Like Thor Ragnarok, which I really like a lot. Um, Deadpool, which I really like a lot. Uh, there's a couple of the Mission Impossible movies that are pretty high up on the list that I thought were um, really good that I thought about putting in there. Right. Um, again, there's a few, like the Guardians of the Galaxy movies that I like a lot. Um, there's some stuff, some other Pixar movies that I really enjoy. Um, but with Pixar, I kind of just went with like the highest grossing mm-hmm. one that I thought was the best. Um, I don't know. And there's some other stuff too. Like you got the, like there's stuff that if you adjusted it, it would have been in the highest grossing. Um, so I didn't take any of that stuff, right. but I kind of think that um, I, I think the list is a pretty good representation of, Movies that people think of as, like, fan favorite movies, but also made, like, a shit ton of money. 
So I think they both kind of, uh, you know, they they kind of hit like the whatever, like what I think of as a blockbuster, and also what I think of as a good movie. Okay, yeah, that's that's an interesting definition. I it's probably just a different way people think. That's probably not how I would have like went about it myself at all. But um, I would have just set a threshold for myself and just like looked at like what was above that. But that's a really, I mean, that's that's interesting. Like the way you went about it. Um. I mean, the list that you've created is pretty good, and I think is representative of a lot of different franchises. Um, did you say that, like, Harry Potter, like, you didn't think there was anything off that? But... I mean, I'm not... I don't like the third Harry Potter movie, and I'm not really a big fan of the last, like... If if you count the Deathly Hollows as, like, two separate films, which, you know, I mean, they were released as two separate films. Right. <clears throat> like, I, I find the first Harry Potter movie to be kind of boring now. Like yeah. and the the second one is probably a little too long as well. Like the the fourth and fifth ones I enjoy, but I don't like when I'm sitting here and I want to watch a movie that I've seen before just because I want to have something on. I never get drawn to the Harry Potter series, even though like I have free access to every Harry Potter movie. Sure. And to me, that's like a like I enjoyed watching all five of these movies again, and I. I just don't feel like putting on a Harry Potter movie ever. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, my wife will put those on a lot, and she just rewatched all of them when we got HBO Max again. Um, and I just saw bits and pieces here and there. I think Goblet of Fire is probably the best out of all of them. Yeah, it's and, a really, it's an enjoyable movie. But I, I really think it's a thing where it's like just casually putting on a Harry Potter book because I, I think in my mind I associate them so much with like the joy of reading them when they came out that yeah. like the idea of like kind of seeing this like adaptation and to have it be casual viewing is, I don't know, it's just something I would never do. Um, yeah, it just feels weird. And you're right, the Columbus, the Columbus ones are really overlong and three, I hate the visual style. and. Right. And, and then, it's um, interesting because, like, and I agree, like, I had the same experience reading these books, like, when they came out. I mean, yeah, we, we stood in line to get, um, was it Deathly Hallows we stood in line for? Uh, I think it was you and Chuck. I didn't. Yeah. I, I think I ordered off Amazon or something like that. Um, but, like, I can't just jump in and watch the fifth movie in that oh, series. Oh, no, I did go with you. That was at Borders, right? Yeah, at Borders. Yeah, yeah, I did go. Never mind. <laughs> That was that amazing uh, time when uh, You the Man Now Dog was a thing. And um, do you remember that that website? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it just, um, it just ended like last year, right? Like oh, officially? I, I, I haven't looked at it since like 2012 or 13. So I don't know, well, but... right. But yeah, it was like this big thing on the internet is like this like, you know, yeah, it's like that was the finally the death nail. It was like 2019 or something like that. Yeah, but there was a really funny um, You the Man Now where uh, – some guy is like in a car riding past a group of people waiting in line mm-hmm. at like a Barnes and Nobles and like Snape kills Dumbledore. Yeah. And this one was like, you bitch. That's right. one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Like yeah. I watched that one. I, yeah. I remember that very distinctly. Yeah. That's, that's really a, funny. Such a simpler time where like a, like a 14 second. I mean, that's where the, the DuckTales, um, the finished DuckTales comes from. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. It's from you, you the man now dog. Yep. And all the stuff with um, uh, Little Mac. Yeah, well, right, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. 
and the there's... Stand Now Dog thing, like anyway, like the right. And then there's always from there. There's all those minor ones too, like um, of like the Six Flag guy and yeah. Is that is that Finding Forrester that that quote is from? I think so. Yeah, where Sean Connery's like, "Oh, you're the man yeah. now, dog." Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Right. Anyway. But yeah, like, uh, yeah, amazing time. Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, it was much simpler it seemed back then than it, than it is now. Like, um, so these are all movies that I really enjoy. Um, I enjoyed them when I first saw them. They were movies that kind of like. There's one movie on here where in in its series, I think there's a film that's better, but it made so much less money than the movie I chose that I had. I felt like I had to choose the one that I picked. Well, but every, yeah. Every other one like represents my favorite movie in the, um, whatever in its respective franchise. And, um, you know, I think they're all like really, really solid films and really worth watching and definitely deserve to make as much money as they did. So, right. So let's go ahead and jump into that movie you were just talking about. Um, at number five on the list is Toy Story number three. It uh, came out in 2010, which feels like... A million years ago. Yes. Um, directed by Lee Unrich, and it stars, uh, you know, voice uh, work is done by Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, Joan Cusack, Ned Beatty, a um, number of uh, slew of other actors, Michael Keaton and such. Um has a 98% from critics, 89% from audiences. Um, you want to kind of contextualize this a little bit in terms of the franchise and why you ended up choosing this, I'm assuming, over Toy Story 2 you were just referencing? Yeah, I, I mean, Toy Story 2 is, in my opinion, the best Toy Story in the franchise. But I want to say the gross of Toy Story 2 is like 400 and some million. And Toy Story 3 is like 1.1 billion. So right. to me, like, just in range because like toy story 2 is i don't know like 60th or 70th on like the all-time blockbusters list whereas this is in like the top 20 or 30 maybe yeah and that and that is like it's it's really weird like in terms of the numbers of that and the money is is because like it seems like as i was like looking at numbers last week and stuff it's like there's something that happens around the time of 08 09 10 where that's when the movie industry somehow like really like started gaining a number of people again. Yeah. Like, so you could end up having these movies that are like, you know, 600, 700, like maybe an 800 million. And then suddenly you're getting billion dollar movies around that time. And um, it's interesting, like, cause somebody who worked in the movie theater industry through like, you know, the mid two thousands, our box office prices didn't increase that much exponentially, like in that time frame. And the boom of, like, stadium seating was in the late 90s. So Toy Story 2 was released in an era where, if not the majority of theaters had, like, the expanded, like, stadium seating, then, you know, it probably, like, was close to it. Right. But I would say that maybe the price between, like, the late 90s and the mid-2000s. And what what is Toy Story 3? It's, like, 2010. 2010, yeah. Um. Well, I don't know. It's probably like, probably from like eight dollars a ticket for a an adult price to ten in two thousand ten. Right. I mean, it's only like eleven or twelve now, right? So, not like that. I I don't know. Like, I don't. 
I don't really have an idea of why, unless maybe people just like, people had more disposable income because we had come out of like that mini recession of the mid 2000s and people just wanted to like spend money and go out and do things. And so they were willing to go to the theater more. Maybe. Do you, do you think the MCU like in like the rise of the MCU maybe added to that? Maybe like getting people like excited about going back to the movies again. And there's other things you can credit that with. Like, I think, I think Pixar is a pretty big, like credit to like children's movies and people wanting to go see like the fact that you had to go see the new Pixar movie every time it came out which is why stuff like terrible things like the Cars franchise makes so much money um and also just the idea of people like feeling like they had to go like maybe Lord of the Rings and we talked about this last week with um we were talking about King Kong because it made so much money that just people felt like they had to be part of that moment where they were they could say the next day at work like oh yeah like i went and saw that this weekend or yeah like and back then it was still waiting in line like i mean even though fandango existed since i don't know like 2001 2002 like you still were like waiting in line to get in the theater and you didn't have reserved seating so people were really you know like it was part of like a moment to go and see a movie and even for like if it was only like two or three weeks like if that was the movie of the moment then you know people really wanted to do it Whereas I think in the 80s and 90s, I think we were kind of conditioned to think like, well, unless I really want to see that movie, I'll just wait till it comes out on video. Plus, like, multiplexes expanded so much. I mean, in the early 90s to mid-90s, you know, you went from having a bunch of, like, four to six screen, you know, theaters to places that had 13 plus, like, 13 to 22, 23 screens. And they expanded across the country. And a lot of that has to do with... um, Sony Lowe's and uh, Regal Cinemas just like buying up smaller competitors and just like expanding the shit out of like everything. Sure, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember the history just in our area, which is you know in um, Cecil County, Maryland, bordering um, Newcastle County, Delaware, and what was Christiana Mall and was the was the big thing for a long time. Um, Christiana was was a sixplex. Six, okay, right, and that was the biggest in the area, like in you know, kind of like within driving distance. And then there was King and Queen um, over the line, was, which was two, two, yep. two screens. And then Elkton Movies Four had two screens, correct? No, well, it had it had four. Did it have it four? Had, Jesus, yeah. Okay. Had, hence the Elkton Movies Four, because otherwise, oh, that, right, yeah, yeah, right. that'd be right. a ridiculous yeah. name. <laughs> um, but but only like two of those theaters were like sixty seat auditoriums. They weren't like yeah. big auditoriums. I saw Doctor Giggles there. Anyway, um, hmm. I saw I saw, a, bunch I, of I saw a lot of things there, but for some reason, Doctor Giggles is the one that always sticks out. I don't know why, but um, because I think it was in one of the really small theaters. Um, I had a first date with one of my like nostalgia pick girlfriends of all time uh, hmm. to see Last of the Mohicans at um, the Elton. She's she's number five on the list. Um, huh. I. <laughs> She, yeah, that 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 might be accurate. She's she's four or five, <laughs> right? So so I'm thinking that that's it. And then Regal Cinema started out. It was Regal Cinema. It was a 10? ten. Ten, yep. right? Yeah. It was a ten, and then they added the ball sack onto the right hand side of the building, which was uh, <laughs> right. Uh, okay. Thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen. Right. Or no, I'm sorry. No, they went to thirteen, right? Where was the other three? <clears throat> What is it now? 17, right? 17. 
so it was 13. Right, it was 10, 13. And, they, the, and then, all oh, right, because it was 11, 12, and 13 were the ball sack. Right. And then when we expanded to the four on the right-hand side, like the tip of the penis, <laughs> that was um, three, four, five, and six. So that brought it up to 17. I mean, if you looked at the theater from the top, it looked like like a dick and balls. No, like I, can, I can definitely see that, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's, that, that was the joke we used to make. Yeah. Back but in yeah, the day. So, yeah. So, I mean, and that was in 1991 that the Regal Cinema 10 opened up around here. Yes. And um, it was a 13-plex in 96, 95 when I started working there and then we expanded to a 17 in 99 because we had done it in anticipation of we started in 98 but finished the expansion in 99 in anticipation of um uh Phantom Menace yeah because we wanted to make sure we were 17 plex so actually like Blair Witch Project was one of the first movies shown in like the new part and Life do you remember Life yeah yep and the Eddie Murphy movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Martin, him and Martin Lawrence, right? Yeah, him and Martin Lawrence. Yeah. Um, there was something else that was early on down at that end. Oh, Sixth Sense played down at that end, like early okay. on. Um, we showed uh, Fight Club. Because when I used to go thread the projector, I would sit there and turn up the sound on the uh, internal monitor and listen to um, Where Is My Mind over the end credits. Mm. Like while I was waiting for the movie to spool out. Uh, ah, yeah. memory. Yeah. That's why my- Steve now is because of those cinemas. Right. My 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 memory with the ten is that I before they officially opened they showed ten different movies from nineteen ninety. Yeah. Um do you remember this? And it's like and then um I saw um Necessary Roughness. That's my you, you could have gone and seen Fisher King, man. That would have been a much better choice. Yeah. That was one uh, of the ones they had there was was that well, the thing is, is, I'd seen a bunch of those movies that I would want to see, like Terminator Two and stuff, already, like the previous year, Elka Movies Four. So, oh, so we also had the Beards Hill Twin down in Aberdeen. I don't know if you ever went to that one. No, I don't. Um, go to the western part of the county. Sorry. Well, that's Harford County anyway. But um, yeah, that's down in uh Aberdeen, Maryland, in Beards Hill Plaza. There was the twin. Um, there was also. The flagship four out in Churchville, which we went to sometimes because it was only a dollar. Anyway, yeah, let's talk All about right. Toy Story three. Toy Story three, you know, uh, go ahead. Like what? Um, I, so I, I don't Toy think, Story I don't think there's any way to like necessarily to give a lot of detail about it because I think all these movies are things people know and they're part of a series. So I think yeah. the best thing to do is just kind of a couple sentences, just contextualizing it in terms of the franchise and then just kind of talking about why you chose it. So to me, this is the like legitimate like ending point of the franchise. If you follow like the idea of Andy and his toys or whatever. Right. <clears throat> where Andy's going to college and the toys feel like they're, you know, they're whatever. The numbers are, de- are depleted over the years and they kind of feel like they're being left behind. And so they get sent to, like, accidentally sent to um, a daycare where they're sort of like held captive by whatever, Lotsa or whatever his name is, the bear. Um, and they have to escape. And the end result is that they get taken and, like, gifted to his, his sister. Who's also who's like young and like has the same can have the same whatever like imaginary adventures with her toy friends that Andy did. Um, 
it's 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 a good movie. Like again, I don't think it's as good as Toy Story Two, which to me is the the best in the franchise. Like I think the Toy Story Two has the the best elements of like a caper film and a buddy film, and you know it's 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 funny, yeah. like without being like pandering. And I don't think the Toy Story Three is like pandering or anything. I just don't know that it's quite as wide ranging in its appeal, like to adults. But it still is a good movie. Like I watched it this weekend and I, I still enjoyed watching it um i mean they pretty much perfected their style of animation with the toy story franchise i think by two so there's not like any kind of like innovation in it or anything um and pixar's always like the masters of whatever the cgi um 3d animation but um just really heartwarming like i can see why it made as much money as it did um i also think that part of it is that like, you got to look at, like, release date. So, um, it came out in the summer, like, right after school ended, um, which I think Toy Story 2 was a Christmas movie. So, even though it had the Christmas holiday, like, it lost a significant amount of steam after New Year's when everybody goes back to school. Whereas Toy Story 3 had the very beginning of the summer, so it's June 12th, and is basically able to, or June 18th. Um, where it's basically able to just continue throughout the summer without any kind of competition. So parents, like, wanting to take their kids to a movie, they can take their kids to that. And it's, like, a safe, enjoyable choice that they'll also enjoy. So it it makes sense that it made as much money as it did. Surprising that, like, more studios didn't adopt the summer children's feature, like, when they did. Because for the majority of time, you could count on your children's movies being the Wednesday before Thanksgiving or the first like realistic day the kids would have off before Christmas or Christmas day, depending on what day of the week it fell. But like more and more movies started to come out in the summer and you can see like by box office returns that these summer movies, you know, because you basically have like a built in audience, they're able to make more money and like, you know, carry that momentum for longer. So, because it used to be that May was the, the realm of like the action movie, like the end of May, beginning of June. Yeah. Um, the action movie, the sci-fi movie, like whatever, like sure. the grown-up like blockbuster was. But George Clooney's the peacemaker, right? Well, yeah, but that movie garbage. Oh, that, um, that bombed, right? Yeah. Oh, it was so disappointing, dude. We had like fucking thirty-foot banners for the peacemaker, like everywhere. Like that was supposed to be like the hit of yeah. that year. I want to say that was I'm I'm th- I, I'm correcting that. This is May release, I think, right? If I remember, correctly. I believe so. I don't know. It, it feels like it was like a pre-summer. Yeah, I want to say that was the same year as Titanic, though, right? The Peacemaker. That sounds right. Ninety-seven. Yeah. yeah. Because I we didn't really expect Titanic to be nearly as big as it was because it was so long, and that was like the prevailing wisdom for a long time was that if you had a movie that was over like two hours you couldn't really make money on it in a theatrical setting because you couldn't show it enough times a day. Like, your bread and butter, and you would love this, because this is like, like fucking, like, Chris City, is, um, like the 90-minute movie, or sub-90-minute, right. where you can cram five show times a day. Sure. And, like, milk the shit out of that movie. Like, yeah. you got, like, a, like a, like a 10, 15 a.m., and you've got, like, a 10, 50 p.m., and just all the hours in between, you're just showing yeah. I love I love an eighty seven to ninety three minute runtime. <laughs> That's my bread and butter. That's the specific yeah. numbers for you. <clears throat> so anyway, so I mean, it's, it's a good movie. I think it's 
I mean, uh, the the voice cast in those movies is fantastic. Absolutely. Um, Alan, Alan, and uh, Hank specifically, but also you know, like the supporting cast. Um, who is it? Jerry Stiller and uh, what's her name? Um, Mrs. Potato Head. Like all, all the voice actors are really good in it, and it's just. It's really well done, and it's a solid, you know, like, caper film. Um, and I always like, because I was always a fan of, I don't know if you remember the cartoon The Littles when we were young. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always liked the idea of, like, small things existing in, like, the larger world of people, but still having to, like, make their way around that world where, like, things that are normal-sized to us are, like, huge obstacles to them. Like, I think that's a cool idea. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, like, it naturally fits in, right? Like, the things, like, most people did when they were kids and had action figures is sometimes, not always, but sometimes they would, like, they, well, no, a lot of times. Like, I know I used most to do it where yeah. it's, like, I would make, like, a dresser, like, a, this big, like, mountain that, like, my oh, figures right, had yeah. to climb and stuff, you know? I mean. My my dresser in my, in my bedroom was always Cobra's headquarters. The G.I. Joe had hmm. to try to, like, scale Sure. Like the sheer rock walls of this thing. To yeah, take. I would like pull out drawers a little bit to like make it like. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this was actually at the time of its release, the highest grossing animated film of all time, too, which is another reason why I felt like it was important to include it. Like instead of Toy Story 2, which, again, I think is the superior movie, but um, still a really good movie and worth watching. And, you know, I think if you're a fan of the Pixar stuff, I think it's. It's a really good choice. Yeah, I mean, you have you have two kind of animated movies um, on this list, and it's been pretty established, I think, in a few episodes by now that like uh, you make it worse than it seems. But um, that I'm not like the biggest like person when it comes to animation, like animated yeah. movies. But um, I really like the Toy Story movies. I think like one and two are really good. I think two is like one of the best animated movies i've seen in the past 20 years um yeah i mean it's I, this, is I a, this, it. is, this is a fitting conclusion i think um is all i really like had to say about it i think that like you said the voice acting is always stellar um right. i really like some of the new additions i like ned Beatty. um and this is is lotso um yeah yeah it is a really good job I, I like michael keaton as ken um in it like I, I like that storyline, and uh, I mean, I, I like the ending. I like the conclusion of, like, you know, kind of, like, accepting, like, the idea of, like, moving on and, like, loyalty and all those kind of themes that kind of come into play, so. Yeah. And I really think that it's, like, I don't know, I mean. It's not as good as the second one, but it's 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 a fitting it's not, ending. Right, and it's, it's, it's heartwarming and it's enjoyable, and I think it's appealing to both children and people who have children, or people who don't and still can enjoy, like, a whatever yeah so it was really hard i had to read through a lot of stuff to try to find criticism um on this like i said it was a 98 percent on rotten tomatoes and i finally found um a um a woman eileen jones that writes for the exiled um which i'd never heard of before and um she claims that there's (laughs) like that this movie represents like some shameless bathos and it becomes mm. like less devoted to like laughs and the oddities of the original ones, and um, you know, is kind of like dumbing itself down into the ridiculous now. And she talks about um, a little bit about like, and then she's read about like in the 19th century about Lewis Carroll rebelling of, against Victorian tradition of force feeding kids. 
uh, what does she say, endless sanctimonious sermons in storybook form. So that's where Alice in Wonderland comes from. And she says that this is kind of um, going back to those oppressive Victorian um, pieties of the time period and um, kind of links it with the idea that a lot of Americans are regressing recently. Um, do you think that it like, it like starts to it, like that it's wearing out by the third one, like where it's getting into like more ridiculous things as opposed to what made the original two charming and um, memorable? You know, it's hard to, it's hard to agree with that point just because like, like, that's an idea that you would think of as being, like, a cash grab for a company. And it's not like Pixar ever needed to make a Toy Story 3. Right. Like, they wanted to make it. So, I mean, I don't find it as endearing as the first two movies. But I think the first two movies are more about, like, the wonder of childhood. And I think the third movie is more about the transition from childhood to, like, you know, that, like, that age where like you can't quite give up on your past but you still know you need to move on and so i think that's sort of like the ridiculousness of toy story 3 is the idea that like these living toys are still trying to find a way to be relevant in this young man's life who's like moving on from them without realizing that like their relevance comes from appealing to like the younger generation as opposed to trying to stick with like what they know yeah which is like i think a more difficult concept to express but yeah, I don't. I, I think that's a clickbait opinion. I don't know that that's necessarily like a. Not that I'm like denigrating that woman's opinion, but I don't know that I necessarily can find a way to agree with it. Yeah, it's certainly a hot take. Um, I think uh, she she is positive about some <laughs> aspects of the movie, but I, I think, but overall, it was a negative opinion. She liked yeah. the big baby stuff and the Ken and Barbie stuff, and you know some of that that she thought was still really good. I mean, I think it's still a fun movie, like, despite too. You know, yeah. that it doesn't live up to the expectations of the previous, so. If it is bathos, um, it's effective bathos to some degree to me. Like, sure. Um, all right, so number four on your list is 2004 Shrek 2. It is directed by Conrad Vernon, Andrew Adamson, Kelly Asbury, and voice acted by Mike Myers, Cameron Diaz, Eddie Murphy, Antonio Banderas, and a slew of others. Has an eighty-nine percent from critics and a sixty-nine percent from audiences. Huh. So, in the realm of like why this is a blockbuster, this was the highest-grossing animated film of all time until the previous movie, Toy Story Three, mm-hmm. um, and also for a few years held. It was the second like quickest movie to a hundred million dollars after Spider-Man. Like, I think it achieved $100 million within the first, like, two days of release or something. Um, which now is, like, not even really a milestone. Because, you know, movies are at, like, $200 million by the end of opening weekend. But, sure. Um, a really good sequel to a movie that I think is... I mean, I don't know how you can call Shrek underrated. But I think that Shrek is, like, maybe not as appreciated as it should be. Um, and Shrek 2 is definitely like an improvement on the first movie in my opinion um i think it's got the right blend of like i mean obviously like i'm sure that most people have seen shrek too but follows shrek and fiona like post wedding like going back to her home kingdom of never never land and running afoul of a fairy godmother and 
basically like reaffirming their love for each other and it's got some really funny some of the funniest moments in like the series in my opinion uh like i love the godzilla um uh whatever uh gingerbread man and i love the like a lot of the like subtle jokes or whatever like side jokes in it are really funny and it's not like the most subtle movie i guess but it still is like funny and it's got a really good soundtrack like it uses um a combination of like modern pop music with like older like 70s like disco style music to good effect Mm -hmm. um and it's well animated and it's got you know it's it's pretty brisk i think it's like what like 90 minutes long so it doesn't last forever yeah, it's like it's, 90 it's it's like a, an hour 40 but it's it, it goes pretty quick i mean but just a really good movie um you know eddie murphy like completely on point as donkey and yeah mike myers like at his best as shrek and just restrained funny. yep kind of has like an ab fab feel with um the fairy godmother um that, well she's a voice actor from uh, the, the voice actor is um one of the women from that yeah yeah, Jennifer Saunders. Yeah. Um, but just like a really good combination, I think, of like, again, like what makes an animated movie successful, which is that it appeals to children and also appeals to adults. So, yeah. I don't really have criticism of it, um, except maybe some of like the. And maybe just because like it's it's been like in the cultural whatever, like consciousness for so long that you kind of feel like you can anticipate the jokes now, but. I mean, it's got some pretty adult things in it, like, you know, when Shrek becomes, like, a handsome man after taking the potion, like, the three women trying to flirt with him and convince him to, like, come with them, and, like, there's some pretty adult stuff in that, so I don't know, it's 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 just good. It's fun, and it's really funny, and has yeah. some really good uh, musical sequences in it. Yeah, so we saw this in the theater in 2004, um, together, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed it then. Yeah, we definitely did. It was, uh, I came after work one time because I hadn't seen the first Shrek, and you guys were going to watch it that night, so I went ahead and... Fuck. I think I rented it from Blockbuster. Um, mm. Maybe? That was still around? Who yeah. would do that? Right. And uh, and like watched it like that night beforehand, and because I remember like taking a nap, um, like afterwards before like meeting you guys at like one o'clock to watch it. That's right. Um, and yeah, and I really enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed it more than the first one, um, even though I think the first one's good. And uh, this is the first time I've watched it since then. Um, Brandy and I watched it the other night, and yeah, I really thought it held up overall. Like, there's a couple things that are kind of dated in terms of content right. matter and jokes. I mean, they're very like kind of pop culture references, so um, right, you know, they 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 won't they don't age well. And like in another twenty years, nobody will even know what the fuck's being referenced with that. Um, so I um, yeah, I definitely um, think that it held up, and I. I think that the Mongo thing is maybe still like the most disturbing and funny thing right. in the entire movie um, to uh, I Need a Hero. Like with that music playing in the background and Mongo like what what is it? When he like has his arms broken off and like falls in the water. What does he say? Be good? Yeah, be good. <laughs> and then it's like no! 
It is. It, I remember being in the theater in 2004 and thinking that I was high. Like, do you remember all the stuff we that like we laughed really hard at in that movie though? Because I was like, I had forgotten about some of it. Like, it's that. There's um, shit. There's another scene that like, another joke that's just like so inappropriate that like made me laugh really hard. I wish I could remember. Oh, it's the Pinocchio stuff with like Pinocchio wearing women's underwear. Yes, right. They're like, yeah, "Yeah, you are. Oh, who's not telling the truth? No, no, wear women's underwear. Like, oh, he's got a thong. They're briefs. (laughs) Yes, that's. Oh, and it's the I'm a real boy thing made me laugh. Like, I like died laughing the first time. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm a real boy. Doing the dance on the stage, like oh. There's there's a lot of like little things throughout that. Um, the one thing that I didn't think aged particularly well, given the past like you know five or six years, is the cops joke. Right, the, their version of cops called knights. Yeah, um, yeah. that was a little um, that was a little rough. But um, true, but for like, the time for the time period, it made perfect sense, and it's right. still it's still supposed to be lighthearted. I mean, like I know it's not like you know, but it's just one of those things that like watching it now was a little like like eh, yeah, uh, it's a little fun. Yeah. All right. Um. So you want to move on to number three then? Yeah, let's move on. All right. Okay, so number three on your list is Captain America Civil War from 2016. It's directed by Anthony Russo. It stars Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, Don Cheeto, Anthony Mackey, and everybody else that's in usually in the MCU movies. It has a 91% from critics and an 89% from audiences. You want to kind of contextualize this movie a bit and um, uh, tell us why you chose this one particularly. So... I think this is like in the in the 20s on like the top grossing movies of all time. This is the first MCU movie where I was completely engaged throughout the entire thing. From start to finish I felt like satisfied with what happened in the movie. I thought all the characters were used well. I didn't feel like there was like long stretches of just kind of like fluff to extend the runtime cuz I kind of feel like the MCU movies have that as a as a problem sometimes like a minor problem, but like some of the movies where it just feels like, okay, like this is a villain. I don't care about this is whatever, like a scenario. I don't really care about, like, I like age of Ultron, but I don't think age of Ultron is particularly like engaging movie, especially upon like multiple watches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of feel the same way about like almost every MCU movie up to this point. Um, and I think that they kind of like, With this and Guardians, they sort of learned how to make engaging films that feel fast-paced and kind of move the, um, you know, move the plot along. Uh, This is based on one of my favorite, like, latter-day comic book storylines in the Civil War idea of, like, Iron Man and Captain America being being on opposite sides of, like, the Superhero Registration Act. Um, And I think the way they got to it was sort of, like believable and organic with the whole like Sokovia Accord thing. Um, I think it's a really great introduction to two iconic Marvel characters in Black Panther and Spider-Man. And it does it in a way that doesn't feel shoehorned or 
like overly long in their origin stories, um, which I think is another thing that Marvel kind of suffers from where <clears throat> the first movie you see a character and you're going to have to kind of suffer through, especially as like a comic book fan, you know, like I don't need to hear Spider-Man's origin for the 40th time. Like I know it. Sure. Um, and I feel like it did a really great job, like a, an amazing job with Black Panther and a really good job with Spider-Man of introducing those characters and also of like using a character like Ant-Man who had been in a single standalone movie, but wasn't quite as well known, you know, I guess as a, a character, maybe to like the general population as somebody like Spider-Man or Captain America or Iron Man, whatever. Um, but yeah, just really engaging. Um, I think it's an overused trope, but this is kind of like the empire strikes back of the Marvel universe in a lot of ways like the movie that ends where you don't necessarily know how they come back from this situation. Um, but it makes you really excited to see like what comes after it. And I think that it does a fantastic job of that. Um, I think it's got really great performances, probably the best performances in my opinion by Evans and Downey Jr. Um, I mean, both of them are like really solid throughout the entire franchises, um, but really great performances here, especially towards the end of the movie uh, really sets up Bucky or um, Winter Soldier as a credible, like, hero in a lot of ways and, like, gives you that idea that he can, like, be redeemed. Um, I don't know. Just a really great movie. Um, definitely worth... It's... It's hard to say this is my favorite MCU movie, but it's definitely up there, like, in the top, like, two or three. Um, I don't know what I put as my number one when we did our list last year. I think After... I, I think it was this one or ragnarok yeah i love ragnarok i know yeah it's Um, good yeah it's good but i think this one like for the stakes involved in this movie and just the way that it like i mean because think how many like heroes are in this movie it's like what like 12 characters in this movie as heroes um and it seamlessly like weaves all their stories makes it interesting and makes you like care about the end result and kind of like blurs the lines between like what makes someone a hero and a villain like depending on circumstance because you know i mean black panther's obviously a hero but he's kind of villainous in the beginning just because his main goal is revenge basically you know and right i don't know it's just it's it's really well done it's really well directed it's definitely in my opinion like if you wanted to show someone one superhero movie and say this is why you need to care about this genre I think this is a movie that you show them, and I think they would definitely be into it. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I agree with all that. I So that episode that you're referencing is episode 34. Um, it's a retrospective we did after Endgame. Um, yeah. God and, damn, that's been that long? Yes. We've done a lot of episodes, man. 43 episodes ago. Yeah, yeah. Not um, counting court cages or other nonsense. Sure. Yeah. No. It's it was last May. I mean, like, so it's been over a year now. Um. Uh, yeah, episodes go pretty quick. Um. So yeah. So I remember when we did that, and and we go really into like everything about the MCU in that episode. Um. But I remember we talked about some of the burnout that we were feeling a little bit from the saga itself of just like all those years, like a, like a decade plus, like of kind of like waiting for that to be over, like for that to resolve. And there was a little bit, I think it was more so with me than you, but you certainly expressed a little bit of it. But uh, to me, there was a lot of burnout from that. I was just waiting for it to end. Like, 
um, for this saga to be over. Um, and I think towards those last couple of years, like, it was like, okay, like, yeah, like these, that was enjoyable, but like, okay, like, I just want this to be over with, um, for me. And having rewatched this now without having to feel that burnout, even if it's only like a year removed from Endgame, um, it was really an enjoyable experience. And this made me go watch Infinity War and Endgame again. Yeah, And that whole, like those three just by themselves, even if you don't watch the things that come in between, like Black Panther and Captain Marvel and all that kind of stuff, it's like, um, those three like are really exciting movies and really enjoyable to watch now that I don't have that kind of stress on me, like that anxiety of it, like, you know, right. how many years it's been. And Civil War definitely, I think, in terms of putting all of them together in one place, um, is it's 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 really hard to watch at times because of like the struggle between the two sides but it's also really fun at the same time um like the fight in the airport i thought was like incredible i love like you said the introduction of spider-man into this um i love the beginning of that relationship between him and tony um and how it's like laid out like really well in just like six or seven minutes of screen time maybe at most um which I think is like a thread throughout like all those movies then at that point, sure. like is that relationship. And um I love the humor in it. Like um Whedon, like, you know, I think does some of that like in the first Avengers movie. But I mean I think by this point, like the writers like had really like kind of like found those voices and figured out ways to most of the time do I think like stuff that's actually like chuckle worthy or really funny um, on like things like Star Wars and stuff like that that just have this forced humor right. to it? It comes from the characters, so even if it is kind of forced, it's it's still within the character themselves and is true to that character. So I think that's good. Right. Um, well, the thing is, is there's no like, and the Russos do an amazing job of like understanding these characters like there's no there's no fart joke character in the marvel universe whereas in star wars there's always some kind of like very puerile whatever like thing that's just meant to appeal to like your base sense of humor and marvel those movies can make you laugh without being like even stuff like ant-man which is meant to be like predominantly funny i think Mm-hmm. Still doesn't in a way that's like adult and understandable, and still makes it really cool. Yeah, there's a real human character in in that still, despite the the comedic nature overall of the right. movie. And I, I mean, the closest they get to like the fart joke idea, which is not even anywhere close, but the closest they probably get is something like Fat Thor. Um, but Fat Thor sure. is hilarious. I mean, like that whole idea because it it's it's rooted in trauma, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think all that stuff's brilliant, but specifically Civil War, I, it, like it made me, I, I loved it so much rewatching it that it made me want to go watch those movies again. So I think you're exactly right in your closing point that this is the movie that you kind of like, I think, show people if you want them to like realize why people care yeah. about the stuff. Especially if they have like any kind of even like basic understanding of who these characters are. And that's that's what I like. That's what I think that the Marvel Universe understands that a lot of other franchises don't. Is that you can trust the intelligence of your audience to yeah. know things. You know, like to understand the basic 
like precept of an idea without beating them over the head for like an hour. That I mean, we, we talked about Spider-Man 3 last week. Spider-Man 3 is so bad because it spends so much time reestablishing things you already know if you've seen Spider-Man 2. Sure. Like, if you take all that out, Spider-Man 3 could be like 45 minutes less and still wouldn't be good, but it would at least be like a tighter movie, you know? Or maybe yeah, you take yeah. that 45 minutes and direct it to something that like build the character of Eddie Brock or build the character of the Sandman, um, Flint Marker or whatever his name is, and like make them more well-rounded, like believable characters so that it matters when they're fighting them instead of, I don't know. I don't want to talk about that fucking awful ass movie. Sure. Anymore. Right. But, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, but civil war is amazing and definitely one of my like two or three favorite, if not my absolute favorite. Yeah, Marvel and uh, I guess one other thing I'll probably add is like um, you talked about like the comic book arc of this, and um, I read comics here and there, like old stuff, and this was the first thing that I was reading as it came out ever. Like I was actually down. What was it? Do you remember what those kind of files were called um, that you could download on your computer and read comics? Do you remember what they were? Like the extension C CBRs or something like that. I, I can't think remember. Um, and like, I was like, actually like, you know, touring them, um, like every month and like reading, like, like all the different like comics that were like tied into like the civil war stuff, because I was like fascinated by it. And I was particularly fascinated by like the idea of, um, Captain America being the one that rebels against the country itself in terms of like their, their laws. Um, and I and I think that like whole concept in this movie particularly like still plays out really well because it's a believable like even though they do it different from the comic to some degree it's still a very believable in the way that they presented the story it's very very believable in terms of Tony siding with the government a little reluctantly but firmly um, and Captain America like you know uh, like standing against the government and I think it's like works really well um, for. Um, people that aren't familiar maybe with like that story arc of the comics it still works really well to establish yeah, captain definitely. america captain america is yep. like the stand-up dude like you know who will fight for what he believes is right and i think it really elevates that character by the time you get to like the last like you know five movies Agreed. or whatever that he's in um real quick giancarlo esposito um there's like rumors that like he's going to sign with um marvel for movies so people hmm. are speculating. So the ones that people are most interested, like uh, that are they're like tweeting about the most for him is Mephisto, um, Norman Osborn, Doom, and then the possibility of if they recast the X Men stuff, which I'm assuming they will, um, is Xavier. I mean, I think he's Doom. Yeah, I don't think there's any other character that he. Like, I think it'd I be think really cool his... to see him as Xavier. Like, I think he could do that really well. But I think Doom's the yeah. I think see, the story Xavier is so much of like a weird bitch. I don't know. Like, I'm I don't like the character of Xavier necessarily. So, <laughs> I mean, what? It's the truth. Like, that's not okay. that's not Esposito, man. He's <laughs> He's that's it's that voice and that delivery and his like his diction and his like 
just absolute class, like like delivering like some of the most devastating dialogue. Like that's that's Doctor Doom. Okay, so waste and who was the other one you said after before Norman Osborn, which is also I think would be pretty good actually. Like if that were a possibility, like yeah, maybe. But like that's such a again, that's another like waste of a character because what if you what if you did Norman Osborn a villain? becoming the good guy like they did in the civil war stuff like where he's like released from jail over the course of the saga and what, where he like forms the thunderbolts or whatever yeah uh-huh uh, i don't know i guess maybe but i don't know i don't want to see that i okay. i'm tired of Norman osborn like i think that he's old hat and i just don't care about the green goblin or anything having to do with it okay like, so if he's doom i want you to real quick fantasy cast reed richards Against the Giancarlo Esposito doom. Shit. So I guess it depends on what kind of read you're casting. Like, are you casting, like... Like, they would have to be contemporaries, right? So you'd have to cast somebody else that's in, like, their... Like, late 40s, early 50s to be opposite. Of course, if it's doom, he's wearing a mask. So you're never going to see... Esposito's face. Um, right. Yeah, and anything they do with flashbacks, he'll be de-aged and stuff, like, you know, so. He'll look like he didn't during Homicide or, like, you know, even, like, um. I actually wish that you Do could, the right thing. I mean, it's not possible, but I wish you could do, like, Tom Hanks's Mr. Fantastic. Oh, that would be really good if, right, yeah. Like, to me, like, uh, Tom Hanks from, like, Is... circa Philadelphia. <laughs> Yeah, he's too he's old like now, but yeah, absolutely. Yep. The perfect Reed Richards. Because he, he he blends like intellectualism with like abject humanity like really well in his roles, and I think that's like the perfect Reed Richards like character. I'm going to make you so angry right now. Potentially. I okay. I, I think you're I think you'll you won't get angry, you'll be dismissive, I think. What about Adam Driver? I'd have to see him with short hair. I don't think I've ever seen him right. with like an appropriate haircut. I mean, Adam Driver wouldn't be bad. I think that he's uh, he's he's the better like younger Richards, who's like haughty and pretentious, but still kind of like boyishly enthusiastic. Like I, I don't think that's bad casting. Okay. Yeah. I hate Adam Driver, but whatever. Like I hate Reed Richards, so it would work out well. Right. Okay, so let's move on to the weird bitch movie. Um, number two on your list is um, Logan from 2017. It is directed by James Mangold. It stars Hugh Jackman, Daphne Keene, Patrick Stewart as weird bitch, and Stephen Merchant. It has a 93% from audiences and 90%, or sorry, 93% from critics and a 90% from audiences. Um, Want to just tell a little bit about like the concept of this movie and why you picked it? Um, so this is the comic adaptation of Old Man Logan, which was kind of like a, if you understand the concept of Elseworlds, like a what if type scenario um, set in the future where superhumans have taken over the United States. This is the comic version, not the movie. Um, and Logan is kind of like a retired superhero who gets pulled out of retirement to go and save, um, basically like to fight off these supervillains. 
so it kind of takes that idea where Logan is old. Um, no mutants have been born in 25 years in this world. No one say it's like fuck 2030 or something like that. It takes place. So right, it's been a long time since a mutant's been born. Yeah, it's like 30 um, or 31 because they talk. A, yeah, yeah. Right. Wolverine Logan is um, losing his healing factor, so it's harder for him to recover from injury and. Even, like, popping his claws is, like, ruinous. Xavier is suffering from dementia, so he has these, like, psychic, like, mind quakes that can destroy, like, large portions of, like, property in the population. Um, There's a minor character from the X-Men series called Caliban who is, like, a mutant tracker that's working with him um, to kind of, like, help medicate Xavier and um, sort of, like, keep him safe while Logan earns money as a limo driver. Um, long story short, in the movie, there's this insidious, shady government corporation that's breeding new clone mutants from, like, previous mutants' genetics. Um, there's a young girl, Laura, I think is the name of the character, um, who's made from Logan's DNA, uh, who's basically, like, it's it's the X-23 character from the comic books, um, but this is her as, like, a very young child. Um, so Logan has to try and take her from Mexico up to this proverbial um, paradise for mutants called Eden, which may or may not exist. Um, it's an idea from like comics, basically. Um, along the way, Xavier dies. Um, there's a family they try to help that ends up getting killed by a Wolverine clone X-24, I think is what they call him. Um, right. And it ends up with the death of Logan, um, basically sacrificing himself to allow this group of like young mutants that they end up finding on the North North Dakota Canadian Canada border. Yes. Um, they end up finding them, and like he basically sacrifices himself to allow them to move on, and possibly create a world where like mutants can be accepted. Um, it's a real. Despite how, like, uneven the X-Men series can be, like the Fox X-Men movies, and I think the First Class is a fantastic movie, and I don't even think the Days of Futures Past is bad. I think it's just too long. Um, Apocalypse is not a good movie. But Logan is, like, a really good ending to his legacy as one of the most iconic comic book characters of all time. Like, despite, like, how bad any of the X-Men movies were, and especially, like, X-Men origins wolverine or whatever the one with um ryan reynolds is like pseudo deadpool um hugh jackman's always done a fantastic job like embodying that gruff solo i don't know almost like fatalistic humanity that logan has which is what makes wolverine like such a popular character like that combination of just abject rage and combat prowess with like tenderness and like artistry like i don't know like almost like a poet soul um and jackman does a really good job over the course of whatever like nine movies i think like portraying that character um so it's a fitting send-off to him it's a really good pseudo adaptation of a pretty cool like elseworld style story um it's got some really great performances i think that mangold films the movie like an amazing it almost feels like a 70s like Badlands style movie the entire time. Mm-hmm. Maybe like Badlands combined with like First Blood or something. Um, in the sense of like it's very gritty, but it's also very like 
new old west feel yeah it's very empty and desolate like yeah. the entire thing yeah like the lonesome empty west or whatever and just he he does an amazing job like capturing the action sequences and kind of like buttressing them against the calmer moments where it's almost like they're a real family you know xavier and logan and um x23 yeah um and it's got i i think a really beautiful conclusion and i think again like a fitting send-off to a to a really great character so yeah i think you're right i I think as i think as you're you're exactly right like this is this allows like the logan character in this version of these films like to give it a proper send-off when and and I and I think Stewart as well. Like I mean, I think those are the two sure. actors that do those characters so well that they deserve that um, to have some sort of conclusion or ending. And by being able to do it in that fantasy world, I think it's really fitting. I hadn't actually seen this movie yet. I thought it was really good. Um, I thought it was twenty minutes too long. I I, I don't even want to say probably that. Probably is. It, I mean, it, it it felt long. Like even though it was like two hours and two minutes. It the pacing of it made it feel really long to me. So um, there's that stretch in the middle from when they leave Mexico to when they are on the farm. Yeah, that is maybe like I don't know if I'd go twenty minutes. I would say maybe five to ten minutes. Yeah, like too long in that center section. No, yeah, that's, that's these- probably pretty accurate because that's around the time where I was just like, oh man, how, how much longer is left in this? And I started kind of paying attention a little bit more to the time. Like, Well, because the, the action and the character development in the first 30 minutes of that movie, like while they're in Mexico, is amazing. Yeah. And the stuff from basically when X-24 shows up at the farm and murders the family through the end of the movie is also pretty amazing. And then in the middle of that, there's the stuff in Oklahoma city. That's really cool mm-hmm. with like, um, especially like the Patrick Stewart having like his seizure or whatever. Yeah. That basically absolutely. like destroys like an entire battalion of heavily armed troopers. Like that stuff's like fucking crazy, but there's also some other moments in there. And I don't know if I could tell you like a scene to take out or whatever, but I just yeah. feel like a little trimming there would have made it a tighter movie. Yeah. I, I do want to say though, it's like I think that like all the actors in this, like I mean, you Jackman obviously is Logan is always good, and Patrick Stewart. Like I, I love this um, young girl Daphne Keene. Yeah, she's really um, good. Yeah, like I, I, I think that's a very difficult role to play. Um, of like being reserved and hostile, but still being able to show your emotions. And I think for her age, I think it's a it's a really good performance. And I also think that that character building in the first half hour, I think Steven Merchant as Caliban was absolutely fucking brilliant Yeah, of, it's really being, good. of being able to have that humanity to work off of um, Jackman like he does in that Logan character. And I, and I think he's actually really pivotal to that character building, even though it's only a couple scenes um, inside of that. And, um, and and I think like the work he does with his face and stuff like that, because he is a comic actor. Um, most of the time, I think the stuff that he does with his face, he's very almost over the top and emotive. And I think behind like that kind of makeup and stuff, I think it works extremely well in this case. Agreed. Um, yeah, it's a it's just a really good movie. I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Um, Frankie and I went to see it like opening weekend when it came out. 
Um, and I really had like very little expectations for it, but I was really impressed. Um, and again, I think just like a really fitting end to like what's one of the more iconic superhero franchises, um, even though it's been kind of overshadowed by the MCU. As time has gone on, I mean, definitely, I think that in terms of popularity, like the X-Men are, at least in my lifetime, like the most popular comic book characters. Maybe second to Batman, but I would even say that like Wolverine, like eclipses back to Batman in terms of like pure like appeal from like a comic book fan perspective. So but yeah, I really loved it. I think it's a really great movie. I think it's um, amazing that it made as much money as it did. Um, I was really happy to be able to include it on the blockbusters list, although it was probably more of a stretch than the other ones. Um, but yeah, really good. Okay. Um, I'm not, I, some of this stuff I'm not going into the criticism on just because it's so trite. Um, it's exactly what you would think when people are talking about superhero movies. Like Rex Reed here, like is bitching about like you know how nothing happens except for chopping, dicing, and vomiting. The villains are under. Okay, I might agree with that. With the um with the villains, the villains are underwritten and without purpose. I don't think they're without purpose, but I think they're underwritten in this movie. Yeah. Um, I think they could have, especially when you have um, oh, what's his name? Um, from with Nail and I, um. Fuck, I can't remember his name. I'm drawing a blank too. Um, yeah. But Richard um, Grant. what is it? No, no, that's not right. Richard E. Grant. Yes, yes, Richard E. Grant. Yep, yep, you're right. Yeah, I think when you have him as the actor, um, like playing like that scientist, I mean, I, it feels like there could have been more done with that to some degree. But, um, but yeah, and then he goes on to talk about like how like there's not a shred of originality in terms of the direction from Mangold. And he has to pinch himself to remember that he's not the same director responsible for Walk the Line. Um, but lest we forget about that movie, Mr. Mangold reminds us all over again with a soundtrack containing not one, but two Johnny Cash songs. Um, and, and, you know, it's more of the same. Like, it's just people like that just don't like these superhero movies right. just shitting on it. So that's why I haven't, like, wanted to criticism that much. Um, and plus, I hate Rex Reed, and I hate fucking signal boosting anything involving Rex Reed, because fuck that dude. <clears throat> yeah, Rex Reed's the turn. Okay, so, number one on your list is 1980's The Empire Strikes Back, directed by Irvin Kirshner, not George Lucas. Um, stars Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, and all the other slew of actors that are in these movies. As a 94% from critics, a 97% from audiences. You want to contextualize the movie and tell us why you included this one specifically on the list. I mean, I don't know how much contextualization you need. It's like, in my opinion, it's the best film in, I don't even know, like maybe the most successful franchise of all time in terms of like total gross of all the movies. Like, especially if you count, like, spinoff movies and whatever. And then the re-releases, uh, I guess? Like, special edition. Yeah, because yeah, Rogue One is, like, over a, a billion dollars. Oh, okay, you're talking about all those, too, like, spinoffs and everything. Okay. Yeah, like, everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely, like, one of my favorite movies of my childhood. Um, I don't know. Like, it, like what 
what do you say about Empire Strikes Back that hasn't been said before? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's got great character development. It's got some of the most iconic moments, I think, in, like, the first 100 years of film, especially in terms of, like, not even big budget, but just, like, mass appeal, you know, like, cinema. Um really the creation in terms of like things that like we quoted and referred to for our entire lives in terms of like the the Vader Luke storyline um I don't I, it's it's hard to say without like saying things that I think have been said like a million times before it's Empire Strikes Back like it's okay so let me let me change it up a little bit then so well, first of all, let me ask you this. Could you sit there and watch this movie and get all the lines with 85% accuracy? Well, you know I'm not like the best at that, but yeah, like 85%. Or at least it. knowing like pretty much, like even if you don't get the exact verbiage, right? Like you pretty much like know like 85% of everything that's going to be said. Right. Yeah. Some things, some things better than others, but yeah. Sure. Like, in the moment, you know it, even if you don't know it right now. Like, um, yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I always joke that I've seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like, more than any other movie. Without exaggeration, I've probably seen Empire Strikes Back more than any other movie in my life. Like, I've probably seen this movie 30 to 35 times. I easily watch this movie again this week without, like... Like, it uh, it was still enjoyable, you know, there was no hesitation. Whereas, like, with Toy Story 3, I was like, uh, I don't know if I feel like watching this, but then I did anyway just to refresh myself. Like, this movie, I was so excited to see it again. So. Okay, so do, two things then. Like, one, why this movie over Return? Because I think most people would say it's between those two movies, and most people would probably lean towards this movie. So why do you, if you try to have to compare and contrast, like, what you like about this better than you like about return how would i mean you... i think empire i think empire sets really high stakes and leaves you so as a kid like i don't know how your like play was when you were a child but you know i was always making either reenacting scenes from movies or making my own scenarios with like my figures that represented characters from those movies more the latter and, like return or empire like just inspired me to just these scenarios that seemed impossible to get your heroes out of and to think that like i mean in the pre-internet and like pre 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 pre-internet days you know as a what was i when empire came out like three or four year old i think when i saw it like you had no idea what was going to happen in that next movie you had no idea how they were going to get out of the situation like one of your main characters is kidnapped and spirited away by this badass, like amazing character that's so mysterious because you don't know anything about him. And then another right. one of your heroes has like lost like a, a limb, basically. <clears throat> Everybody's like beaten down. You know, the villains have seemingly won. Like it's a really bold way to end a movie yeah. in the sense of like, you basically are banking on the fact that people love this enough to want to see the conclusion of what's going to happen to all these people. And it's, I don't know, it's, it, it's amazing. 
And I, I, I like Return of the Jedi, and you and I disagree about this. I, I think Return of the Jedi is the third best Star Wars movie because I will always love A New Hope just from, like, what it meant to me as a child. Um, I mean, that was my Star Wars movie, you know, before Empire and everything. Like, I saw A New Hope. If I've seen Empire, like, 30 to 35 times, I've seen A New Hope, like, just under that. And these were movies that I would watch, like, every week when I was yeah. a kid. And I think, some... that's, I think that's the difference, maybe, between our very slight age difference. Um, probably. Um, of you being born, what, like, 70, 76? Is that right? 77. So, oh, so the year that Star Wars came out. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, and I was born the year that Empire came out. So, I think there's it's just that very slight age difference is, is, is probably responsible for some of that. Um because yeah, Empire, Empire is, if not my first, one of my first movie-going memories. Right, and then again, like, the three-year, the, the, the age difference, um, Return was one of the first movie-going experiences besides E.T. for me. So, Return was one of the last movies I was able to see in the theaters because we lived in Baltimore um, in 83 and didn't move to Cecil County until... 84 maybe right i think i was seven anyway it was when i was going into elementary school right um and i saw i saw return at the old elkton movies where the police station is is at an elkton i saw return at the golden ring malls um united artists uh theater which is honestly where i saw like the majority of my movies from my childhood so I saw Return, Empire, Star Wars, or New Hope, um, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Clash of the Titans. Um, what's that movie called? The fucking Dragon Slayer movie for some reason I saw there. The Dragon Slayer. Yeah. I can't remember who's in it. Anyway, I saw a bunch of shit in that theater. Yeah, I saw a sword in the stone there too, I remember. but Okay, so... Let me again, like, spin in a different. Do you think, like, the the mo on this movie always is that it's like, you know, it's the best because it's the darkest. Like, how do you feel about that? Well, maybe. I think it's the best because it's the best. <laughs> I know it's a fascinating question, right? <laughs> Look, it's been a long, it's been a long life, <laughs> right? Um, I don't know if it's because it's necessarily the dark. I mean, it is the darkest. But I wouldn't tell you that's the exact reason why it's the best. I think it's the best written. I think it's the best paced. I think it's the best in terms of its settings and scenarios, you know, like Bespin, Dagobah, um, Hoth are all like, like maybe like three of the best like settings in the Star Wars universe. And it's got some really great action sequences. Like, it's a really good combination of plot advancement without being, like, overbearing, character development without slowing the movie down too much, and just, like, out-and-out, out, like, amazing action sequences. You know, to start the movie with, what, like, 30-some minutes of, like, the Battle of Hoth is amazing. Like, you learn so much about all those characters. You get invested in everybody. You get the... Luke taking down the Adats, you know, them fighting through the Hoth base against the snowtroopers. Like, there's so many great things 
in that opening Dude, 30 minutes. Think think about like how like fucking amazing that is. Like when the a lot of the movie either takes place the first movie, A New Hope, takes place on Tatooine and then space, right? And it's right. like you start the next movie on the fucking snow planet. Like like I don't remember what I thought of that time, but even now it's just like the different the change of scenery in that like from from the desert hot desert planet to that is like so revolutionary to me like the idea that it's like i don't even know how to describe it there there there's something like you know primal about it like like uh, the symbolism of it it's like they're on the run from the empire and it's like they're like holed up in this like cold ass planet where they have to like you know tuck themselves in the fucking ripped open tauntauns to be able to survive the cold and it just like makes their situation so dire to me. Agree, yeah. And it's just a really like, like not to use a bad pun, but it's just a really cool setting. Mm-hmm. You get to see Luke like using the Force, you know. You right. get to see like I, like everything about it. Like, and it's yeah. set up. There's so many little moments on that planet that are just set up to exemplify the strengths and the character of each of these like characters. You know, like. Han Solo is this crafty rogue who still cares about his friends, but understands the importance of like staying alive. And Leia's this—I don't just say every one of them, like Leia, Chewbacca, three PO, R two, Luke, like are all given these like little beats during this like really intense segment Mm -hmm. that tell you everything you need to know about him. It's just—it's—it's such amazing storytelling and. Yeah, and and I don't want to keep prolonging this, but I don't think we're ever going to talk about this original trilogy again for at least for a long time, probably. So I think it's somewhat important for us to talk about it because we never did that Star Wars like retrospective at all. So um, because because the because the, the sequel sucks so much overall, like by the end. Um, so just, so okay. So let me ask you this question: So mm-hmm. we can, what do you think about this retconning the sequels? I, that they're going to like supposedly do away with everything from the sequels and start anew. I think it's um, probably Jesus. I think from some sort of commercial standpoint, it feels like it could be wise, but ultimately is going to backfire even more because it's a dumb idea. Um, but I get why they want to just ignore those movies happening because they wouldn't stick to their guns. I mean, I, I think you and I feel similarly on this. I think if they would have stuck with, and this is not the most popular opinion, but it's the, if they would have stuck with Ryan Johnson's vision of that, even if there were some flaws in, in Last Jedi, they would have ended up in a better place. By the, th- I, I, I don't disagree with that. Right, so I'm saying that by almost retconning Ryan Johnson's stuff and making her Palpatine's grandchild and then the ridiculous of Palpatine himself being in it and like all these other things like that they did and then it just not being a very good movie um, and Adam Driver in a, in a fucking sweater like, you know, Mr. Rogers, like Jedi. Like, I, I think there's all these like bad things that are in that last movie and I think that last movie is fucking atrocious. I could get the instinct to sit there and say, 
yeah, let's just pretend none of this happened now because we fucked this up so bad. But I think that like while that instinct is maybe correct and that's a it's a it's kind of some kind of like deep wish, I think if you do that, you've broken trust with an audience that you can never regain ever again. I think they've already broken that trust in a lot of ways, and I think that it'll be irreparable if they go ahead and try to retcon this and pretend it never existed and just move on to something else. That's my general feeling on it. Yes, I think I agree with that. I'm still like excited, not excited. I'm still interested to see like what they do. I'm interested to see it, and especially now that um, I've read that like Lucas, <laughs> fucking, which I can't believe Lucas is the savior because fuck that dude. But um, like I can't believe Lucas is the savior here. Where it's like I'm interested to see if now that I hear Lucas wants to like get his sequels up on the screen, right. I'm interested to see what that looks like. Um, it'll be the prequels, just I don't know, different. Um, like not the prequels, I guess, but basically the prequels, I'm sure. But I'm interested to see. Like, I think it's, I think it's a, I, I think if the whatever they do next, if it's not successful, and it might not be, considering the the hard feelings on now both sides of the Last Jedi debate. There's hard feelings on both sides now. Um, I think the next thing that they do could be a fucking commercial disaster. And I really think that this misstep could actually end the Star Wars <laughs> movie franchises for a long time coming. Maybe. I mean, I would have said the same thing about um, Rise of the Skywalker and Solo. Like kind of being like the one-two punch that sort of put it down. Yeah. For the foreseeable future, but I don't know. I mean, like, look, I don't really have positive. I don't hate the third trilogy as much as like some people do. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of positive feelings about it either. Like, I don't sit there and think like, I don't ever want to watch any of those three movies again. If that yeah. makes sense. Well, why would you? Really- why would you ever? Like, you and I both like the first movie is like, eh, okay. Second movie, both of us liked a lot more than other people did. Both you and I yeah. did. And then you would never want to watch them again because the third movie is so fucking terrible. It's true. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about the same more. I actually want... I do have another question. Do you think the settings in Empire compared to the settings in the other movies elevates it even more? Like the, the fascination of Hoth... Dagobah and Besman City. Well, sure, because it only takes place on three settings. Well, yeah, the first movie takes place on Tatooine and basically like the Millennium Falcon and in space. Right. Like, and then and the third movie is Tatooine, Tatooine, and, and then Endor, and, Endor right, and, and, so, and, and space, right. But you know, the th- okay, so you knew the names Tatooine, Endor, Hoth, like when you were a kid. Yeah. Can you remember fucking like Jakku? You know what I mean? Or um, what are the other fucking Jakku's the, the Jakku's the only one I remember because I've seen it ridiculed so much. There's so many places like they're always jumping back and forth. Like I remember like Yavin Base, even though it's only in like ten sure. minutes of the movie, right? But like there's a hundred settings. Like they're always taking them. Instead of just taking like a core group of characters that you cared about and focusing on them and having them do things, 
they tried to expand it into this like all inclusive, like wide ranging mishmash of shit. And even though like I was entertained watching all three of those movies, watching those movies. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that I watched it with, you know, with Frankie and with you guys. And there's mm-hmm. like a feeling of like, oh, this is like premiere night and we're here like seeing this movie and you kind of get excited about the idea. Of, so I get excited about the idea of seeing the movie because I have a soul unlike you. But um, <laughs> like ultimately, like I didn't take I don't take anything away from him in the long run. Like, I don't think like, man, I need to watch The Last Jedi again or fucking Force Awakens again. Like. I feel like I've seen it enough. Like the one time, that was enough for me. That's because there, there's no depth, and you don't well, need to see it ever again. Right, because it's an inch deep and a mile wide. Right. Like, yeah. And... yeah. 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 That's exactly right. That's a, that's a perfect, perfect fucking yeah. Absolutely. Like um, I, like I just don't care about. It's not even that I don't care. I just like legitimately. It's just tiresome. It's like who fucking like wants to see this shit again? Right. So. Okay. Last thing I want to say, like, and I'm done about Empire, is that last week I was talking about how George Lucas can't direct actors, and I think something like M- I think Empire is the movie that shows that I'm right. Is that if you look at the performances between A New Hope compared to Empire? And you look at Mark Hamill's growth, and you look at Carrie Fisher and that character's growth. I mean, some of it's the writing, too, because he didn't write this bitch either. Um, like, I think if you, like, look at those, and you know, and you look at, like, Billy D. Williams' performances, Lando, and, like, all these other things, I think the performances are so much better in this. Like you said, the character growth in this, um, which Dave Kerr, I, I'm not even going to read his shit, but it's like Dave Kerr shits on this movie because it, it doesn't go anywhere, he says, and there's no character. Um, yeah, right. Um, but it's like the, the, the acting in this is so much better. Um, and then it's like you get like Harrison Ford, the famous thing with Harrison Ford of like starting to like change his lines according to his character, which we've never talked about Temple... Or, I'm sorry, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark on here, um, which I'm, I'm waiting for someday because I know so much about that movie in the process. But he starts changing his lines, and there's, like, you know, this, like, you know, famous thing that, like, he changes, like, the line, like, because he's supposed to say, I love you back to Leia, and he changes it um, to I know. Um, and I still watch that scene both in, like, the shoot like reality and like the kayfabe like reality of like watching it and i still mark out to it every single time like it's it's a it's one of the most brilliant moments in that movie because it's so realistic to that character like the i know scene is probably to me like one of the top like five scenes like in all star wars for like all the battles all the you know, like drama that goes along with it. That scene is probably one of the top five scenes just because this one actor goes ahead and changes his lines because he understands that character better than anybody else. And it's like, I watched that scene again for what the 50th or 60th time in my life. And I still marked out to it all over again. I agree with that. So yeah, so it was a good list. It was fun watching these movies. Yeah. Um and coming up we will be taking a week break um as we normally do in the third week of the month 
Um, and coming back at the very last week of the month with the top five Americana movies, um, which is going to, again, be another, to me, very interesting list that Frank's come up with. Um, and then in August, um, to give a preview, we were doing the first ever Next Five, um, which is going to be the Next Five 70 sci-fi movies, which I've seen that list now, which I think will be interesting. And then we're doing, what is it, uh, underrated apocalypse movies, post-apocalyptic Post-apocalyptic, movies? yeah. Post-apocalyptic movies. Um, not, we'll, we'll call them hidden gems. Okay, all right. Because maybe they're appropriately rated in some cases. Po- okay, I'm just trying to get the title right. Okay, so top five post-apocalyptic hidden gems. Hidden gems, there we go. All right, okay. And then... Um, the top five high society movies. Yeah, um, listen, I, have I come up with that list yet? You have not come up with that list yet. So good, good luck. I have no idea what's going to be on right. it. <laughs> right. That was, I think that was your idea too. Um, well, there was one movie I watched that like blew me away and I was like, yeah, I'm I need make... to figure out a way to get this on the list. And that was right. the hell come up with it. What's his name? That um, those I like those movies a lot too. But Chuck loves the love those movies. Like that one of those movies is on that list. Oh, right? Walt Walt Stiltman. Walt Stiltman, yeah. Like um, Barcelona or uh, Metropolitan. Metropolitan's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. 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 Um, I can't imagine that's not on there because Wit like, Wit Wit Stiltman. It's not Walt Stiltman. I think it's Wit Stiltman. Wit, Wit Stiltman. Yeah, you're right. It's right. It's the most like it's the most fucking like high society name that you can think of right he's he's hanging out in martha's vineyard with his sweater tied around his neck and his fucking dock siders on and uh, yeah but that is only in june through early august though the rest of the right. time he's in manhattan he, he might he might go to go to florida sometime anyway it is pouring outside right now is it raining there yeah, I can hear it. Okay, well. all right. So, yeah. well, you you always joke that it's like there's a different weather there versus here. So, oh, it's not wrong. It was raining a lot harder like a half hour ago. So, mm-hmm. I think you're getting it now. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. So we have, I think, some really interesting episodes come up on the podcast, and I think, I think the rest of the year, like when we sat down and did this in December and January and made this list um, of for the year. Um, yeah, I think we have some really interesting stuff for the rest of the year. I think the only thing we don't know, Frank, is October completely, right? Yes. Because we left it open for, like, you know, what we want to do with horror, because right. we always do horror in October. So, but yeah. All right. So, some of us do horror all year long. Oh. I've been doing horror all year long, pretty much. Like, yeah, that's, that's subjective. Your horror is terrible. There's been some good stuff I've seen. You still have not watched some of the things I've told you to watch. Um, it comes at night. I watched that. Did you? Yeah. What, you didn't like it? I fell asleep and had to start it over at a certain point, so I don't know what that tells you. It was fine, I guess. It's fine. It's a good movie. Um, it's it's it, I don't know. It's fine. It's it's a little too it's a little too into itself, I think. I have and, wanted to talk to you about it. And, 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 wa- and Waves wasn't, huh? Um, okay. <clears throat> Whatever. Um, maybe, what he's, maybe he's just a guy who's a little too into himself. Maybe he is. It's fine. I said it's fine. Um, 
I don't know. There's been a couple other things that I like mentioned, and well, maybe you've already seen them or something, and just kind of dismissed. I'm gonna watch that Metamorphosis movie this week. You said you already watched that. Did I? Yes. That's what you told me the other night. You said you already watched. I read the description. Yeah, it is. It, it is not recorded anywhere. This was another conversation that was not recorded, which you said you had already watched it. I might have already watched it. I have no proof that you said that, but you told me that. Yes, I'm gonna um, look at it again. I have still not watched it. But. Yeah, I don't. I know. got you to watch a good movie last yeah. night. There's been a few other movies I've told you about that you haven't said anything about. So either you didn't like them, like you didn't like it comes at night, or I didn't dislike it comes at night. I just thought it was just fine. I thought it was just a movie. There was nothing about that movie where I thought it did it any... I, I thought it did the same thing that a lot of other movies have done, and I didn't think it did it any better than those movies have done it. Or not enough where I was like, oh, man, I'm blown away by this. What did that... What uh, There was another movie that director did that I loved, though. What was the other movie by that guy? The Waves guy? Oh, is that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't really... I mean, I thought Waves was good. Right. I did, too. I don't know if I would say I loved it, but I thought it was enjoyable. It's an entertaining movie. Yeah. It's a moving, moving movie. I actually liked It Comes at Night better than Waves overall. Like, but Man, I just felt like I, I was watching It Comes at Night, and I'm like, man, I've seen this movie. Like, I've seen every beat of this movie at some other point. Of course. Well, I, I agree with that. I don't know. Uh, we'll have to talk about it. Like, that's it's not worth talking about right now. Like, yeah. but, um, I, I think that it's... I think that it's extremely effective in the tension, the suspense that it builds, and the way that it does it from, a, like, in the cinematography and the editing and the pacing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I think it was... You want to know what it reminded me of? And you're not going to believe this. You're going to say that I'm just full of shit. It reminded me of the ice storm at points. Just mm -hmm. in, like, the way it made me feel. Like, that was the movie I kept thinking, like, going back to, like, emotionally was The Ice Storm. This is why I haven't talked to you about this movie. Where's my so many, things, <laughs> so many things I think about it that would upset you, so. <laughs> yeah, you hear that four. Fucking Kevin Klein, motherfucker. <laughs> Kevin Klein could have played the lead in this movie. It would have been just as believable. All right, so next week is a break, and then we'll have a couple of pages before. <laughs> you trying to get this break. done with? <laughs> trying to get this over. Um, yes, next week is a break. Then we're coming back with Top 5 Americana, and then we'll move on to our three um, episodes in August. Um, cool. Any final words tonight, Frank? No, again, it was a fun list, and I really enjoyed watching all five of these movies again. So. All right, so thank you for listening, everybody. Please wear your mask, especially if you're in Florida right now. Um, other mm. than that, I hope everybody is safe and have a great week. Yep, good night.